The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Welcome one and all here to Monday Football Monday on the SB Nation NFL Show. A reminder before we keep going that this show is brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. As noted, this is the SB Nation NFL Show. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, leave a rating, write a review. You can also watch us on the SB Nation NFL YouTube channel. The incredible Steven Serta is on the ones and twos today. My name is Arjo Cho. With me, as always, Mark Schofield and JP Acosta. And gentlemen, we have a whole Sunday slate of week one action to get to. Mark, uh, you are feeling in a perfect kind of mood with your Red Bull cap. Uh, was it a perfect day for you on Sunday? It was, although it, this part was fun. Came home from a quick little weekend getaway and Got this aforementioned Red Bull cap in the mail from Red Bull Racing. They sent me a nice little care package ahead of the two races here in the States we got coming up. So that was nice to come home to. What wasn't nice was seeing the New England Patriots go down 16 nothing early. Although, if you would have told me at that point that they would have the ball and a chance to win with two minutes left in that game, I would have thought you were crazy. So I guess you could say there was a moral victory from New England, but there's really no moral victories in the National Football League. So... I mean, it was it was an up and down day. It was a slate filled with chaos, which I'm sure we're going to get to, and we get a lot of stuff to to talk about as a result. JP, you are my favorite Jacksonville Jaguars fan. It was a bit of a tenuous um, debut for the 2023 version of Duval County, um, but nonetheless, uh, a win for the good guys in Indianapolis against those frauds known as the Colts. Uh, was it a stressful day for you? What, did it kind of go chalk the way you you envisioned it unfolding? They don't ask how, they ask how many, and we got one in the win column right now. It was kind of rough, but, you know, I think there was a lot of harping about, oh, the offense looks bad, and it did look bad, but they also scored 31 points. Like, it's it's so weird to say the offense looked – like, the offense didn't look as good as it was supposed to, and you still score 31 points in a game. That has probably never happened in my entire life as a Jaguars fan. Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley are – one of the they already have elite chemistry the duo is going to put up insane numbers calvin ridley almost had 100 yards before halftime it's it's super fun just watching trevor lawrence throw the ball so it was they pulled away in the second half like good teams do so i'm excited to 
to get back in to watch that. But overall, just a great week. I enjoyed the NFL week one. It was uh, a lot of fun. Life suddenly feels normal. Uh, we are in sports nirvana. Obviously, uh, the Premier League was off with international play, but they'll be back. Mark, you mentioned it, the F1 races uh, in the States. Uh, it's just a great time. This is the best time of year. As soon as the weather starts to cooperate, I think we'll all feel it. Um, in case anybody's new around here, what we're going to do every Monday now that it is this time of year is recap everything that happened in the NFL and offer a slight little Monday Night Football preview. We know some of you listen um, after Monday nights. So we won't spend an enormous amount of time on that. Uh, but, gentlemen, it is your first season here on Monday Football Monday uh, with me. And I decided that we should come up with something. Um, on Fridays on TGI Football, Stephen BLG and I have a mechanism that we call the zap. Uh, so if you get zapped, you're not able to offer an opinion on the game in question that we're previewing. Um, it's It sounds – thank you, Stephen, for the sound effect. It sounds like it's uh, meant for – uh, negative purposes. It's really done in the name of accelerating the show because there's a lot to get to. Um, and so we'll get to bye weeks and that will help speed things along. But I'm going to offer that I think we should each hold a fast forward token. Um, so Mark, JP, myself, Stephen, if you'd like, uh, when we get to a certain game, if you feel like this was stupid, we don't really need to spend a lot of time here. You can deploy your fast forward token. We each get one. Uh, we cannot deploy it on the teams that we root for individually. So all Patriots, Jaguars and Cowboys games are safe in that sense. Uh, does this sound like something that both of you are a fan of? I'm in. I'm in. Sounds good. Okay, I know so going to use my fast forward on. Yeah, the Cardinals and Commanders are in some serious trouble, I think, here today. Uh, <laughs> but we will see. Uh, so uh, I am the resident Dallas Cowboys fan, and we have to start with America's team. I cannot wait to see the number that they did in terms of viewership. The Dallas Cowboys, the good guys, Mark, getting a 40 to nothing destruction of a win against the New York no longer never really were good at football Giants uh it was an announcement of sorts from a team that we all think is a Super Bowl contender um I know the Niners look great and we'll get there but uh Mark your initial impressions from what Dallas did on Sunday Night Football that defense is going to be an absolute problem that defense is going to be a nightmare for offensive coordinators it was a nightmare for Daniel Jones on Sunday night it's going to be a nightmare for opposing quarterbacks the rest of the season. And I think my main takeaway from this game is I was able to get to Starfield by halftime. Um, that's pretty much the way this game unfolded. I mean, it was over early. You saw how this was going to play out. But my main thought is that defense. Look, Dan Quinn has talent at all levels. That safety group, our good friend John Onan was talking about it last night. That safety group is going to pose problems for opposing offenses. Obviously, Micah Parsons and what they can do up front is going to be a problem. You know, if we do see this return to defensive football and perhaps week one is a window into that idea, the Cowboys are going to be in a very good position as a result. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that I noticed, and this is something I'm going to write about later on today for SB Nation, which is shameless plug, you should check it out. Um, one of the things that I noticed was how Dan Quinn not only empowers Micah Parsons and gets him in the middle matchups, but they basically just played iso ball. With the, uh, with the New York Giants offensive line. It is whoever was on the right side of the line over Evan Neal or Mark Lewinsky over the right guard, right tackle, you're playing iso ball. And one of the things Dan Quinn has always done since he's been a member, uh, since he's been DC of the Cowboys, is he has set up five-man fronts. You're not going to be able to slide protection to Michael Parsons or Demarcus Lawrence anymore. You have to block your man one-on-one. -on -one. And with the pass rushes they have, most of, most of those guys, most of the times, the Dallas Cowboys are going to win that. I think – their secondary group, that safety group, is so crucial to that defense because with the way that they played the Giants and something that I noticed as well is 
how much nickel and dime defense. They didn't have a, line, a lot of linebackers on the field against the, against the Giants. Even when they went into 12 and 13 personnel, they were like, no, nah, we'll just play with our safeties. We'll have six DBs on the field, and you're still not going to be able to run the ball super effectively because you're going to be in second and 12 and second and 13s most of the time, and then we'll get to pin our ears back and pass rush. So that safety group is super important, but Dan Quinn has a group of monsters and the defensive line, and they just – completely overwhelmed the Giants offensive line. I think that's really well said and really well diagnosed by both of you. There are only three linebackers on the Cowboys 53 man roster. And to your point, JP, that's something at blog and the boys that we just kind of talked about, like, Hey, I mean, they're going to play with five safeties at, at a lot of times this season. Um, and the safety group in question was absent of Donovan Wilson. He got hurt at the very beginning of training camp. Didn't even play in this game, but Marquise Bell showed up, had a big moment. Um, the first four sacks of the game for the Cowboys came when Micah Parsons saw double teams i mean it really just is this cascading effect um keanu reeves said it best uh it's like quicksand when you face um, fronts like this you just cannot get your head above water and i think that that was the case for daniel jones um is anybody i i I didn't have the giants as a playoff team i know we didn't really have a high level of confidence um it's an obvious takeaway that the cowboys are going to be a contender this year is anybody willing jp you had some confidence in the giants do do you want to jump ship or are you willing to chalk this up as some week one blues I think I'm going to chalk it up as some week one blues. I think I am very worried about the offensive line, especially Evan Neal. The whole point of buying into the Giants this year was Evan Neal taking that jump and kind of becoming a serviceable player. But every year against the Cowboys, he just does not look great. It just it just doesn't happen for him against the, against the Cowboys each year. So I am, a, I am very worried about that. But I do also think that they played – one of the best teams in the NFC and the Giants are kind of in that middle tier, that middle class of NFC teams. And with the way that the NFC kind of looked yesterday, you know, anybody can take those last few spots. Hmm. All right. Well, um, I think we've kind of said it all. Um, it really is a fantastic day. Uh, if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, it's a victory polo Monday. That's my personal bit. Uh, but let's move on. Mark, we saw an offensive explosion at SoFi Stadium. The Los Angeles Chargers falling 36 to 34 to Tua Vailoa and Tyreek Hill, who declared that he was coming for it all in 2023, kind of lived up to his word. Tyreek Hill did on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, he did. Tua did. Mike McDaniel was certainly in his bag as well. That offense was explosive. It was dynamic. I think Tua was something like 8 of 14 on throws over 15 yards. You know, he was attacking downfield. It wasn't all glances and RPO slants and looky routes and things like that. One of the things I loved about McDaniel on Sunday was how he used movement at the snap. There are a lot of plays where they're going fast motion into a 4 by one or a 3 by 2 and they're giving even Tyreek Hill a head start. There was a play where they put him into fast motion. Looks like he's running a wheel vertical. And then he snaps it off on a dig and Tua hit him in stride. Tua was thrown with anticipation. He was thrown with timing. He was thrown with accuracy. This was a fantastic game for Miami. But I think we also have to talk about what they did on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Justin Herbert and company had the ball. They were putting up points. They had a chance to go down and score at the end of the game. But instead, you got a pair of sacks. You put them behind the sticks. They were getting pressure on Justin Herbert. I think this was in many ways a sort of complete performance for Miami. And, oh, look, they put up 34 points. The Chargers did. So certainly, you know, the defense could improve. But this was a step forward from that defensive front. And if you get a healthy Tua for 17 regular season games, this offense is going to be tough for defenses to stop. JP Tua finished 28 to 45 for 466 yards, three passing touchdowns, had the interception, likely going to lead the NFL in passing um, after week one is officially over. 
that that is the thing, right? Like if he could stay healthy, like we this is what we want to see. Like we all know that this is 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 capable or something they're capable of, but it's just a matter of like, hey, this is a really long season. Can you survive it? Yep. And I think one of the things that Mike McDaniel's done with Tua and going and getting Tyree Kill is it's increased Tua's confidence. You know, I I wrote about last year, you want to increase the margin for error for young quarterbacks. With Tua being surrounded by Mike McDaniel and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, the margin for error is really wide. And the way that Mike McDaniel builds off of the base concepts, you know, the little slide, flat RPO where they have Tyreek Hill coming in motion, basically the same play that, the, that they ran the dig on, on Dagger, that looks exactly like what they do the, with the RPO. So JC Jackson had to widen out because you're expecting the RPO and Tyreek Hill just to run it to the flat. But now he's running vertical at you and you're out of position Tyreek Hill is going to win that 10 times out of 10. But I do think we need to start asking questions of Brandon Staley and mm. how good he is of a defensive coordinator. Last year, like this same team last year, same same game, the Chargers defense personnel-wise was a lot worse, and they shut Miami down. Primetime football, we all remember that game. It was the Twitter dialogue bowl. They had all the talent yesterday. And they gave up 36 points. They, they allowed explosive runs. They allowed explosive passes. So, you know, that Brandon Staley quote where it's like, I'm willing to give up four or five-yard passes if we stop 40-yard runs. Congratulations. You did neither. And you, but you're supposed to win a game. You scored 34 points. Like, that, this falls on the defense and the lack of preparation, the lack of adjustments, and the lack of showing up for their star players. Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, neither of them recorded a sack. J.C. Jackson looks awful like just had the pick though he had a pick and then he ran it out instead of taking a knee set up at the one yard line he had the he had the pi near the end of the half that set them up for a field goal in a game that they eventually won by two your your dudes have to start showing up and for a team that traded a lot of capital for khalil Mack, gave a lot of money to jc jackson gave a lot of money to joey bosa those guys aren't showing up you need those guys to start playing well. You, defensive coordinator, defensive guru, mastermind Brandon Staley, have to be better. This is a team that is expecting not only to make the playoffs but make a deep run. And they're going to be let down by a defense that's what's supposed to be their strong suit. That's why they hired Brandon Staley. They were the defensive guy. And now they're getting boat raced because they can't stop a nosebleed. Mark, I think JP brings up a very good point. Um I think you both remember last year uh, the discourse about Justin Herbert being a social media quarterback. Uh, like we all agree, Justin Herbert's insanely talented. I do think the Chargers are kind of a social media team, um, and I, I I don't mean that like in a super negative way, but like they have all these things that we really like. Like you would think that a team you know outfitted with Derwin James on defense would be. And I think Derwin played moderately well, but th- there is like th- there is a lack of accountability that is now held or not held to Brandon Staley. The offense showed up to JP's point. Kellen Moore, the effect was great. Like all the success, Justin Herbert was amazing, right? Austin Eckler was amazing, but the head coach kind of has to do his thing, and he did a poor job. Yeah, I mean, look, the the Chargers have become over the years sort of a media darling. We always want to buy into them every summer, whether it was Phillip Rivers and company, now with Justin Herbert. And JP's points about the defense are all completely accurate and valid. This is a defensive-minded head coach who was hired for his defensive chops, and they can't stop teams right now. I also think we do have to give some credit, though, to McDaniel, to Tua, to Hill, to that offense. I mean, they did a bunch of things conceptually and stylistically. There was a play where they sort of set up a smash concept to the left side, Waddle on the corner, 
Tyreek on the, the, the wheel stop out of the backfield. Tua wants to throw that way. They take it away. They double Waddley bracket him. They got an inside and out on Tyreek out of the backfield as well. So he gets to his third or fourth read in the progression. Like Tua played extremely well. McDaniel did some stuff creatively that he had time to dial up over the offseason for this game. You know, we'll see which trend continues. Does this offense in Miami stay explosive and dynamic? Does this defense in Los Angeles continue to struggle? If so, yeah, the questions will remain and even get louder regarding Brandon Staley. But I think part of it's a week one thing. Part of it is like two and company played really well, coached really well, and were very, very effective on Sunday. And I do um, one more of that. Very real. The Chargers ran for 234 yards yesterday. You run for 234 yards, you should be able to win the game. Like Miami's run defense was very bad for the entire game. But again, you gave up 36 points, eight yards a play, to an average 10 yards a pass. Something's got to, something has to change. Like eventually, somebody's going to have to pay the bill for all of the stuff we're buying into this Chargers team and this Chargers defense. Somebody's going to have to pay up. And the way it's looking right now, it's probably going to end up being Brandon Staley. I mean, we all know that Kellen Moore is the future head coach of this team, right? Like it, the the script is written, you know what I mean? It's just about like, you know, everything kind of falling in line. Um, but let's move on. Um, the Green Bay Packers got off to a promising start in the Jordan Love era. I thought this was so awkward how everybody acted like this was the first time Jordan Love ever played football in the NFL. Uh, like I understand that it's a different dynamic, but still uh, 38 to 20, the final score um, tough scene for the bears, Mark. I mean, just cannot get out from uh, the shadow of the Packers, regardless of who's a quarterback uh, DJ Moore, I thought looked explosive at times, but I'm a, I really want Justin Fields to take off. I, I just would love that so much, but it really felt like more of the same. And it really felt like he's only generating more questions than he is answers as a passer at this point. Yeah, and look, I, at Coach Vass on Twitter, Chris Vasser, one of the best football minds there is, basically came out yesterday and said, okay, are we going to finally have the Justin Fields conversation? And he's right. I'm like you, RJ. Like, I'm a, I'm a long believer in Justin Fields. I wanted to see him take that step forward this season. This is year three. This is the big one for quarterback development. We're not seeing it. Now, certainly there are probably things they can do better stylistically, schematically for him, move him around more, lead into the designed QB run game more. That was a huge part of what they did last year down the stretch with him that started to build his confidence as a pocket passer off of that. Nothing was clicking. Nothing was working. Minimal effort was made in, in that regard. And so, yeah. There are more questions and answers about the Chicago Bears right now, and in particular, Justin Field. And this is a huge year for him because they've got that extra first-round pick. We know this is, or at least we know right now, this could be a very good quarterback class coming out. How long is the leash going to be here with Justin Fields, or does this organization decide, you know what, we're going in a different direction? JP, have you seen the third Mighty Ducks movie? No. Well, that's a real shame. Um, but have you seen any of the Mighty Ducks movies? I have seen I have seen one of the Mighty Ducks movies. Okay, well, in the third movie, uh, the Ducks have um, I think it's like they go to like a prep school, like a it's I think it's high school, uh, but it's like you have to be like on a scholarship, like it's a really you know pretentious you know prestigious uh, high school. Stephen telling us the D three is underrated. Anyway, so they've had a lot of success at this point in the films um, as the Mighty Ducks, and they try. I'm sure you've seen like the flying V and things they do right, like in the first movie. So they try to do the flying V at one point when they're scrimmaging against the varsity, and they just get destroyed. Like Daniel Jones, New York Giants, and then I get like run over. Um, and their coach, who's like now they have a different coach, and he's like a real hard ass. He's like, your little duck tricks 
won't work here anymore. You have to evolve, right? Um, and it kind of felt like Justin Fields had that moment. I think it was Lucas Van Ness um, who was like, oh, you want to try to, like, scramble around and, and run around here. Well, guess what? I'm a lot faster than, you know, the pass rushers you were going up against last year. It felt like those little tricks that Justin Fields has tried to pull off just weren't working on Sunday. It was really weird. I think DJ Moore only had two targets the entire game, which won major credit to the Packers' defense and their secondary. They came out with a whole lot of intensity, a whole lot of energy, but you need to find ways to get him the ball. I don't care if you're doubling him. I don't care if they're tripling him. Find ways to get him touches. I think Matt Bowen, again, one of the better, one of the greatest football minds on this uh, on Twitter, he was like, hey, you need to have a part of the playbook that is just labeled DJ Moore. And just plays designed to get DJ Moore the ball, whether it be design touches on screens, jet sweeps, get him involved. He is your most explosive playmaker. You have to get him the ball. I do think we are starting to see a little bit of some warts with Justin Fields, a lot of warts actually with Justin Fields. And just in terms of holds on to the ball so long looking for the touchdown. You know, he's always going to hunt for the big play, which is why I love to come out of college. But it's just the the in-between game that isn't there right now. You know, he's just missing on the intermediate stuff. But you can only throw the deep ball and the check down. It's not going to work effectively in the NFL right now. So when you can't run the ball and then you can't throw the ball and you're and you're basically your entire offense is just a field scrambles, that leaves you exactly where you were last year. And, you know, you begin to start asking questions of, hey, is this quarterback actually going to be the guy? I do think it's – this, this week for the Bears was kind of a little bit of a pump the brakes for uh, Bears fans. You know, they came in with a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. You had to remember, this team was going to be bad. Like, this team is still going to be a pretty bad football team. The roster still isn't up to speed. And it showed against the Packers team that is more talented than the Bears and has better coaching than the Bears. Mark, finally, what were your thoughts on Jordan Love? 15 of 27, 245, three touchdowns. Again, a solid step forward, I think, in most people's minds. Yeah, I thought so. And, you know, watching him live, then sort of spinning through it again quickly this morning, you saw some elements to his game that I thought were really impressive. You saw some underneath manipulation of defenders with his eyes. He was moving linebackers. He was creating space. He was putting the ball where it needs to be. Yeah, he missed on some throws. He had a vertical route along the left side. I think it was a corner route to the tight end that was wide open, and he sort of overthrew it. It reminded me of a play we talked about during the preseason where his eyes got big because he's like, I got a shot for a big play, and he just missed it. I think that stuff will get ironed out. But this was his second start, and he performed extremely well. And that defense is talented at all levels. That offense has some schematic components that put him in a position to be successful. And like JP said, they're the more talented team right now. This was going to be a down year for the Bears, but the hope was they would see enough from Justin Fields that they could do some things in next year's draft that aren't involved with improving the quarterback position. They could add another receiver. They could do something else. They could use those two picks up front to really improve around him. Instead, they might have to use both of those as it looks right now to go get a QB. That's going to be a problem. Mm. All right, let's move on. The Philadelphia Eagles spotted or were spotted a 16-point lead by the New England Patriots. Um, it really actually did feel like a spot, uh, Mark. Uh, the Darius Slay pick six felt like Mac Jones wanted nothing to do with even getting in his way. Uh, there was the Zeke Elliott fumble, which is a, a pretty rare thing, obviously, that set the Eagles up for another easy touchdown. Uh, but to their credit, New England clawed back, clawed back, clawed back, mostly on the back of Kendrick Bourne. Uh, two touchdowns. Imagine if he was part of the 49ers offense, by the way. Like, it's just yeah. stupid um, to really think about. But anyway, Mark, 
Um, so close, but not enough for the Patriots as they fall to 0-1 with Tom Brady, I guess, getting automatically put in the Patriots Hall of Fame, whatever. Uh, that, it was weird how they picked the Eagles of all teams to do this against. But, uh, Mark, your takeaway uh, takeaways from New England's big quarter. Yeah, I mean, like I sort of said at the outset, like there are no points for moral victories. This was, I think, in a way, a moral victory for New England because, you know, I said this on a couple of shows last week coming into this game. Look, you know, if they could keep it to a one-score game, keep it to a field goal kind of game against the Eagles, against the NFC champions from last year, that would show some improvement. If they could show something on the offensive side of the ball, at least something organized you know, some execution, some consistency, some professionalism. You know, guys like Kurt Warner and Dan Orlovsky and others were destroying this offense all season long a year ago with a lack of attention to detail. You saw that. You saw creative route concepts. Kendrick Bourne and Mac Jones seemed to have a connection. That defense looks very good. I mean, yeah, they, you know, gave up, you know, the touchdown after the Elliott fumble, you know, but for the most part, they kept this team in a position to come back. And look, he had the big hit on J- Jalen Hurts, forces a fumble from Jabril Peppers. They recovered. New England has a chance to go down and score and take the lead, and they don't. So I think the defense is going to be good enough to keep them in games. The question, as it was coming into the year, is the offense going to be good enough to win some of those games? And I think even though they lost yesterday, we saw – some steps forward from this offense, some professionalism from this offense. And I think they might be a better team than we thought. JP, on the Eagles side of things, uh, blowing a 16-point lead, pretty uncharacteristic of the 2022 Eagles. Um, the Jalen Hurts fumble to kind of like crack the door open at the very end of things, also uncharacteristic. Uh, there's obviously a lot of hype, a lot of expectation around Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts specifically this season. Sunday showed... Maybe some regression of the mean happening, although they did still walk away with the win. Yeah, I think they just look kind of sluggish, you know, whether it be attributed to the rain or Bill Belichick getting an entire offseason to prepare for your offense, which is, look, man, we can say a, a whole lot of things about Bill Belichick, the GM. You give him more than 10 days to prepare for your team, you're probably going to have the worst offensive performance you've had in a long time. And that's what happened, you know. I do think – There are going to be some questions surrounding Jalen Hurts and the offense. I think Jalen Hurts played extremely well last year in terms of throwing the ball vertically and protecting the ball. Neither of those things really happened yesterday. So you wonder, like, what is the next evolution in Jalen Hurts' game? I think that's going to be a major question. And, you know, it's not really like I want to be full moral victory. Full disclosure, I did choose the Patriots to win in our predictions. But that was before two of the offensive line starters got uh, announced that they were out for the game. But you take away the pick six, the Patriots win this game. So I do think I'm not out on the Eagles in terms of NFC and Super Bowl contenders. I think they still are one of, if not the best team in the NFC. I do think it was a little it was a little sluggish and going against a Patriots defense. You know, you can't really say, oh, it's week one struggles because it's the Patriots and Bill Belichick. Maybe he found something out that somebody else is going to start looking at and be like, hey, may- why didn't we see this earlier? Yeah, it's unfortunate for the Eagles that, um, you know, the blueprint or whatever was laid in week one. And now everybody gets an opportunity to look at it, although maybe not the Vikings, given that they play on Thursday night. Um, but yeah, uh, very, you know, and the pick six was even a tip ball, right, Mark? I mean, it wasn't even like a break on the ball. I mean, it wasn't just, you know. Sometimes weird stuff happens that winds up being the difference. Um, We all still have our fast forward. I would remind both of you. I know you're wrapped up in the ecstasy of talking about the NFL. Uh, We move now to the Minnesota Vikings, who lost a one-score game 
uh, for the first time in forever. 20 to 17, the final score. Baker Mayfield's Buccaneers. Um, Tom Brady, who, Mark? I mean, look, the Bucs are back with Baker Mayfield. I wouldn't say the Bucs are back, but I think this gets us to something we talked about in the season preview show, which was as good as the Vikings were in one-score games last year. Those can be noisy, and here we are, their first one-score game of this season, and it's a loss for them. So that's going to be something to watch. I mean, I wouldn't say that Baker's back. He had a couple of creative moments. He had a couple of, you know, pulling a rabbit out of his hat moments in the pocket, which I think was nice. I think what we also did see, though, and this might be a sort of warm blanket for Vikings fans, that defense looked a little feisty. You know, Brian Flores coming in, JP talked about it. You know, they're going to be getting after it. They're going to be blitzing. They're going to be playing a lot more man coverage. It seemed like that part of their team is ahead of schedule. And so if that comes full circle and that part is solidified as we get into, say, October, that offense is going to be good enough. They'll be okay. Um, but the whole one score thing is going to be something to watch. Yeah, JP, I did feel like um, like if if I had to put certain teams in the sluggish box, like the week one blues box, I'm willing to put the Vikings there. But there, there was a lot of hope. Jordan Addison, we got a great you know Jordan Addison moment. Obviously, Justin Jefferson looked great. Even Alexander Madison looked great in the defense to Mark's point. Like, I'm not as ready to panic on the Vikings, but um, this is, you know, this is chum in the water for everybody who thought that they were frauds last year. So if Mark is giving them the warm blanket, I'm going to rip it off. Uh, the offensive line looked bad. That's just straight up. Offensive line looked bad. And the Bucks weren't even fully healthy on the defensive line and deep up front. Elijah Canty was out for the rest of the game with a calf injury. I don't think Shaq Barrett played. And they were still giving up a lot of pressure, especially through the guards, which is the weakest point of that team. You know, Christian Darisol was in and out of the game. Offensive line health is going to be a major problem. Garrett Bradbury also did not play, so they didn't have their center. That's an issue. You know, that's going to be a major issue. I think Baker Mayfield did a couple of good things well, which is throw the ball to Mike Evans or throw the ball to Chris Godwin. That is really all you got to do. That's You can't really mess it up. Mike Evans is like 6'5 and has giant arms. Just put it anywhere in the area code and just see what happens. So – I do – I'm not higher or lower on either of these teams after this game. I just kind of feel like, man, the Vikings are – the Vikings offensive line has got to be addressed, although the injury to Bradbury took out a major part of that interior offensive line. Um, I know you both care a lot about my fantasy football team. Um, I went Jonathan Taylor as a high point of value and obviously have to survive. I'd have to get there. And so I drafted Rashad White because I thought that this dude's going to be a volume monster. It's going to be there. Well, it turns out that isn't enough. Um, 17 carries, 39 yards, 2.3 yards per carry. Just tough seat. Uh, really tough. And that's with the Vikings helping them out. Kirk Cousins turned the ball over a lot in this game. Um, so just, um, you know, I hate it. But anyway, uh, let's move to the NFC South. Or Bijan Robinson helped the Atlanta Falcons take the early lead, uh, twenty-four to ten, the final score. As the Falcons are above five hundred for the first time since two thousand and seventeen, Mark Schofield, um, Desmond Ritter, I didn't think really like impressed, but um, this was this was a, a marriage of like the Panthers not quite being ready, the Falcons being a little bit better, the Falcons having some nice skill position players, although Kyle Pitts and Drake London weren't exactly involved a ton. Desmond Ritter had more catches than Drake London. Okay, like Desmond Ritter was wild, first, wild that, start by the that, way with him and he was like four for five for a touchdown and zero passing yards, and his passer rating was like one eighteen point nine early in that game, and none of that made sense at all. Um, now you got Arthur Smith saying we don't care about fantasy stats; we like the fact that we're one and zero. Well, 
Kyle Pitts and Drake London are two of your best playmakers. You have to start caring about getting them the football because this might have worked in week one against a team breaking in a rookie quarterback. It's not going to work the rest of the season. So you have to start getting those players involved. Bijan, look, that first touchdown, that's why you drafted him. You know, that's he's kind of the running back, the model running back for the new era where he can create in the run game. He can create in the passing game. This Atlanta team could be good, but what worries me isn't the fantasy implications of not getting Pitts and London involved. It's the on-field schematic implications of not getting them involved because the less you do with them, the more defensive coordinators will focus their attention elsewhere. You've got to create opportunities for these players. You've got to create touches for these players. Otherwise, defenses are going to figure you out really quickly. JP? Next, next week, Green Bay Packers. Well, there you, you better, go. You better figure it out, man. I don't care. You're supposed to be the offensive genius. Figure it out. Figure out what the best offensive coordinators figure out ways to get their best players the ball. Drake London didn't see a target. Kyle Pitts had two catches for 44 yards. You should probably get those guys the ball. And you're going to figure out real quick whether Desmond Ritter is actually real or not next week against the Packers. You, you better figure it out. Bijan looked great. The run game looked good, which is exactly what we expected from this Falcons team. The passing game is still a problem, whether you attribute that to the offensive line being bad or Desmond Ritter being bad. You better figure it out. Like This is, this is a division that they could probably win if the quarterback or the offensive line is at least average, and we still don't know that. So – I worry less about addressing fantasy football points and figure out whatever you got going on in that uh, in that playbook, brother, because you got a bunch of good teams coming to Mercedes-Benz, and you better figure it out. Um, let's move on to the Battle of Ohio. I I'm, I know that this is a thing, but like, do you do either of you really ever hear that a lot? Like when these two teams play, like it's I don't like that. I do. Interestingly enough, um, Sandor, I forget his last name. I'm blanking on it right now. He's an F1 writer based in Hungary, and he tweeted out first thing yesterday morning, Battle of Ohio, and I was like, this is weird. Worlds collided. Sandor Metzazar, I think is his name. Um, so apparently, some people buy into the Battle of Ohio. I don't, but some people do. Um, well, it wasn't much of one, if anybody uh, does believe it to be one. Like, where does it even happen? Like, you can't call it the battle when they, they both play their, their two games against one another in Ohio. Like, are they both the battle? Are they the battles? Like, then you got to call it the battles, but whatever. Uh, the Browns winning 24 to 3. JP, really, you know, underwhelming performance for the Bengals. There was a lot of talk about obviously Joe Burrow nursing the calf injury over the course of camp and the preseason and being out of sync with the roster. The Bengals have definitely earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of not panicking on the long haul. Uh, but Sunday was a really, really, really bad look for them. Look, man, offensive line got their ass kicked. That's, <laughs> that's really it. And on the Brown side, Jim Schwartz is back with a vengeance. That man came ready to play. And it's so cool. Like, just seeing the subtle things that changed with the with the Browns from last year to this year. The main thing is they have multiple pass rushers now outside of Miles Garrett. You can now, like what I talked about with Dan Quinn and Micah Parsons, match up hunt for your best player. Now you can go iso ball for the best edge rusher in football. And so now you get points where Miles Garrett is lining up over the center and just completely dominating that interior offensive line because he is that good. So I, tr- I attributed this less to like, oh, maybe the Bengals are bad. The more the Browns defense might actually have something here along the defensive line. Jim Schwartz has found a way to 
find their best guys, whether it be Zadarius Smith, Ogbenai Aquankro, and Miles Garrett on the field at the same time, getting all those pass rushers on the field, you're going to find a way to win. The offense, too. The Browns offense still looks bad. That is an entire – that it looked bad. But if the defense is going to play like that, then you're going to find yourself in a lot of games. Um, Mark, did you see the Deshaun Watson interception live or after the fact? I saw it after the fact. My understand it looked awful after the fact, but it did look like it was also tipped. That was a but... lot of I, I couldn't I couldn't tell. I trust your eye yeah. more than mine. There was a lot of discourse about this on the other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say that I'm gonna give them the sort of benefit of the doubt here and say that it was tipped. If not, that was awful. And even even putting that play to the side, this was not a good passing game yesterday. But JP talked earlier about sort of error bands, right? And giving yourself as a team a margin for error. That defense gives you a massive margin for error right now. That's what we saw yesterday against Cincinnati. And as JP said, look, that looks like it's something that's going to continue. And if you're a fan of defensive football, and if you think, as I think we kind of do, that we're seeing a return to defense, if you're in Cleveland today, if you're in Dallas today, where to polo like J like RJ is, you've got to be pretty excited right now because both of those defenses have that ability to dial up those matchups, to you know, get those one-on-ones, to play that ISO ball up front to get your best pass rusher on the weakest link of the defensive of the offensive line, offensive line being a weak link unit. And so yeah, Deshaun didn't look great, you know, putting that one play to the side. Passing game didn't look great at all. Run game was okay, Chev at 106, but that was, you know, salting the game away and things like that. That defense, though, is going to give that offense opportunities for short fields, for quick scoring drives, and it makes the margin for error so much bigger in Cleveland than it does for some other teams. There are obviously a lot of people who are in on the Browns this year. Um, some people think they can win the AFC North. Obviously, you know it's a tough division. At least it looked that way you know, two days ago. Um, but big game on Monday Night Football next week in Pittsburgh and the potential to get out not just a 2-0, but 2-0 within the division. Um, yeah. Last thing here, um, did you guys see Jamar Chase and his comment after the game? Look. I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of trash talk. I love it. Like, and as, as somebody whose job it is to create content about these, these types of things, let's go for it. But if you lose, if you get your ass kicked, you can't call them elves. Even if you're just like stating a fact, even if you're like, I, I called them elves, we lost elves. No, you can't do it. Like you've lost that license in my mind. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I, don't, I, don't I, I, re- I respect it. Cause he, you know, didn't duck it. You know, he stood at the locker and said, yeah, I'm mad. Cause I called them elves. We should have said elves, they're not right? elves or, or I'm afraid of elves. You know what I mean? No, like you should have paid like, respect to elves in that sense. I feel like that'd be reneging at this point. Yeah. Like you've already yeah. said that they're elves. You've already crossed the point of no return. You can only acknowledge them as elves. Plus when you say you got your ass kicked by some elves, that feels a lot worse than saying you got your ass kicked by a normal football team. Yeah. That's yeah, fine. if he comes out and says, look, I was wrong, they're not elves, they're like absolute monsters and stuff like that, <laughs> then it's like you totally go back on it. No, you double down, you still call them elves, and the elves roughed you up? That's look, taking a big L. My other take on this, um, and whatever, but like the Browns being offended by this, like you are elves. Like that's your mask. You know what I mean? Like why would you be upset about this? Like imagine if the Bills were like, oh, we lost to some airplanes if they lose on Monday Night Football. Well, you did. You know what I mean? Like that's like – that's what your mascot is. Like, I, I don't understand why there was ever any, like, agitation about this subject. But. So, like, if the Steelers were to say we lost to some gold miners. Does- that would be fair. That would be yeah, accurate and literally just, true. It doesn't hit the same, though. Like, it, <laughs> it just doesn't. Like, you lost to some elves. That's That really feels like it, it hits like a sucker punch to the gut. 
but saying that's like, you lost to an airplane doesn't really hit the what, same. That what if somebody doesn't... was like the Colts lost to some some kitty cats? Would that upset you? Yeah, because Jaguars are like one of the most intimidating big cats <laughs> in the world. Like that's that's really like that's just a fact. Like that's not a real kitty cat. And plus, Colts um, are baby horses, so uh, baby all right, horses being like baby cats, like I don't know. The um, the Houston Texans lost to some crows uh, on Sunday. Um, I don't know. Was were you? Are you slamming the fast forward, JP? Is that what that? Fast forward on this one. Okay. Uh, let's do. What? Oh wow! Some fantastic from Stephen. That was awesome. Um, everybody gives one sentence on this. That's that's how we fast forward. So JP, you hit the fast forward. So one sentence on Ravens beating the Texans twenty five nine. Texans aren't there yet. Mark. Odell seems back. Um, I'm a little worried about Lamar. Anyway, um, let's move on. Uh, the Kitty Cats, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the, um, the baby horses, the, not calves. Baby horses. Ponies. How about the ponies? Uh, beat the ponies 31 to 21. Looked a little bit scary for a little while, JP. It was a bit touch and go, um, for no real reason, except for the Jaguars just kind of couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah, I think the biggest thing here was, the Colts' defensive line is really good, and they're going to keep them in a lot of games, and especially against the Jaguars team where the offense's weakest link is along the offensive line. You know, Brandon Scherf was in and out of this game with an ankle injury. Leave Tyler Shatley came in at left guard. Anton Harrison had a rough week one, which is like, you know, hey, rookie, welcome to the NFL. Walker Little gave up a lot of pressures. And, you know, that's going to be a thing. That's going to be a problem uh, going forward against better teams. But – a lot of what happened was very weird. You know, you have a Tank Bigsby uh, drop, a drop pass that turns into an interception. You have a Tank Bigsby forgetting the NFL rules for a fumble, which I can kind of excuse a little more because it was a rookie in his first game. But dog, like, please just grab the ball and get down. Like, just just get down. It doesn't have to be like you don't have to like stand and walk around. I think he thought the play was in, was an incomplete pass, but it was just very weird. But the defense looked really good. The Jaguars' defense looked really good. I think a lot of things to be true about this game, especially for the Colts' offense. You know, Anthony Richardson looked fine, but they also didn't let him throw the ball downfield a lot. But the Jaguars' defense completely wrecked their game plans. I think the front looked good, getting pressure. Anthony Richardson just kind of made some subtle pocket movements. They're like, hey, that's why he was a top-five pick. But Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley, man, that's – that is a special connection. That is a special duo. They're going to find ways to get each, get each other the ball. The, the touchdown to Calvin Ridley to open up the game was just a marvelous play. And one of the best reasons, like, Trevor Lawrence is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He just does those things. Mark, uh, your takeaways from Anthony Richardson and his rookie debut. You know, I think if you're a, a Colts fan, you're feeling pretty good about Richardson, even though they lost, even though he threw the interception, because you're seeing they're on track with the proof of concept of Shane Steichen and Jalen Hurts, right? You saw a lot of pistol. You saw a lot of the RPO game. I know the the spray chart from yesterday was floating around on social media on Sunday night where it's a lot of throws to the right, and a lot of that is by design. You know, it's pistol, it's RPO stuff. You're giving them a half-field read, which is what Shane Steichen did in Jalen Hurts' year two. It was a lot of QB run game, RPO elements, half-field reads, and I thought he played good. You know, he had the interception. You know, that, that was a throw that he should have, you know, not gone there with it, tried to force it in. But you're going to get those kinds of plays. I thought he showed that he's on track for his development. There are going to be ups and downs. But the fact that they were in this game, 
I think is a testament to that defensive front. Like GP said, they're going to cause pause some, cause some problems for opposing offensive lines. Buckner was all over the field at times. He sort of forced that weird strip sack fumble play that JP talked about. But the big story of the season for Indianapolis is when you get done, is Richardson a better quarterback than he was when the year began? And are you satisfied that he's going to be the guy going forward? And I think yesterday was a big step towards answering that in the affirmative. Yeah, it's difficult to have patience when it comes to things like this, but it did feel like the, like the right kind of game for the Colts. Like you hung with a, a contender, you hung with somebody who's kind of owned you for a little while, who's who looks like a favorite in the AFC, certainly within the AFC South. Uh, lots of things to kind of take away. Uh, maybe like the kind of thing that motivates Jonathan Taylor to come back. Like, hey, there's something to actually come back towards. Um, so it was cool in that sense. Um, I'm a little bit more ready and willing to buy in on the two Florida teams that I was a little bit uh, bearish on in both the Jaguars and the Dolphins after week one. I know it's one game, but still, uh, JP, you mentioned that the Calvin Ridley touchdown was exquisite. Uh, so looking forward to uh, seeing, by the way, uh, early odds from our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, Jacksonville, two and a half point underdogs in week two at home against Kansas City. JP, where are you going? I'm going with the Jags. Always. Always around with the Jags. I think they I think they win the game. Okay, let's go to a more objective and independent person. Mark Schofield, uh two and a half points uh Chiefs are laying. What would you take? I, I might take Jacksonville there. I want to hear what Kelsey's status for that game, because I think that's critical, as we saw from that team on Thursday night. Like, where's the pass game coming from when he's out? If he can't go, I really like Jacksonville. It'd be fascinating if Jacksonville delivered a blow. To Kansas City to, to knock them to 0-2, especially after, because you're right, Mark, I'm sure it had pride the conversations like that. Let's just get back on track, get a win against the Jaguars, and you deal with all that narrative for 10 days, and then it doesn't even happen. Um, I'm, I'm a yeah. fan of this, so uh, I'm certainly rooting I for will that. say, if Kelsey plays, Travis Kelsey has historically dominated yeah. the Jaguars. The world, not the Jaguars, the world. The world, <laughs> especially the Jaguars. They cannot cover tight ends, so that should be interesting. And then, you know, the Chiefs don't have an impact pass rusher like DeForest Beck Buckner because they're just sitting in the booth. They're just sitting in the suite. They're just sitting in the suite looking like Sting, you know? It, they don't have that guy. So expect a big fireworks day. from The San Francisco 49ers put a very quick end to Ooh. all of the hype that the Pittsburgh Steelers had. Um, I think the Giants are getting a little bit more roasted uh, for their week one performance. I think the Steelers actually should because we actually really believe we a lot of us talked ourselves into them. We have given them all sorts of props, an incredibly flat performance mark. And we're all willing to extend the like, hey, you played San Francisco kind of bump, right? But they had to have looked more functional than they did. This was just an outright drubbing. Pittsburgh looks very, very, very much further back than we all thought again two days ago. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. Um, you know, watching that game live, sort of rewatching it this morning, one of the things that stood out to me, though, we thought that that defense in Pittsburgh was going to be very good. And there were moments when they had really good things dialed up to sort of create opportunities for big plays. There was a play where, you know, they dropped TJ Watt right into the throwing lane. They knew exactly what they were trying to do offensively from San Francisco and Purdy is about to throw the slant route to Ayuk, but he sees it, resets, comes backside, and hits McCaffrey on a quick little slant spot route. You know, it goes for a short gain, but that kind of moment tells you that Purdy is perhaps taking a nice little step forward. And so that defense in Pittsburgh is still going to be good, but he showed a little bit of magic, a little bit of creativity. As for Pittsburgh, look, we were all buying it. I was buying it. I'm saying, look, this is a playoff team. Like maybe it was the perfect preseason for Pickett. Maybe it was Pickens. Maybe it was all that. They looked flat yesterday. 
They looked absolutely flat offensively. Now you've got an injury to one of their wide receivers that you have to wonder about going forward. This was a shock to the system. This is that sort of like wake-up call that like, oh, yeah, preseason's one thing. When the games count for real, it's a much different story. But as for the Niners, man, we thought that, look, they might have the best roster non-QB-wise going in. If Purdy keeps playing like that, they might have the best roster in the league. Yeah, um, that defense is still going to be really good. I had a little bit of a question because of the schematic change going from D'Amico Ryans to Steve Wilkes. D'Amico Ryans is a lot more quarters, quarter, quarter, half. Steve Wilkes plays a lot more cover three. Evidently, it just did not matter. Just didn't matter because the Niners are just like, yeah, we have every dude possible on this field, and you don't have any of them. They just they shut that offense down. I think at one point midway through the second quarter, the Steelers had one total yard. Two it was 199 to one. It was like, 199 to one. Like that is an ass kicking on historic levels. Like I, I know RJ said at the beginning, like, hey, maybe we should have been talking more about the Steelers. The fact this game happened at 1 p.m. is probably a blessing for the Steelers right. because we'd be talking about this a whole lot more if this happened in prime time. But the Niners, I, I'm not going to victory lap a week one win because it is week one but they were my super bowl pick coming out of the nfc that defense is just so good and when you have the offense with the playmakers the mccaffrey long touchdown was just a perfect encapsulation of what the niners are it's not only elite skill position talent making elite skill position plays like mccaffrey doing the spin then running for another 50 yards it's brandon iu getting out and laying ace the smackdown on a corner springing him then Ray, Ray Ray McLeod running from across the field to get another block. Everybody is bought in right now. And you see it with just utter and total domination. Like that, it was just, it was an ass kicking, man. I've never really been like a Brandon Ayuk believer. I've never been like a doubter, but like I've just never been as in as some people are. Uh, holy crap. Um, yeah. I mean, like, and if if he really is this all the time, then it's just insane. And yeah, the Christian McCaffrey thing just continues to pay dividends. I'm with you, Mark. It's hard to not be impressed by Brock Purdy. Um, and Brock has now reached the point where like even the like accidental things are working out in his favor, like the fumble that he had where he kind of like recovered it behind his back. Like he yeah. just has he's just a great football player. Like that's just it's a, it's a cliche thing to say. Um, yeah, tough scene. And I, I talked about it a moment ago. Uh, but the Steelers on Monday Night Football next week, they are in primetime and not going against uh, a shy or a low-quality defense in the Cleveland Browns. Uh, so if they fall to 0-2 and get destroyed again um, and now have a division loss on their resume, um, it's certainly going to be um, a, a rough 0-2 start for Pittsburgh. But we'll see. Uh, let's move on. The Tennessee Titans fell in New Orleans. The final score, uh, a really boring and sleepy 16-15, to which is why I'm going to hit the fast forward, Mark. Uh, you get to hold yours. One sentence for me. The Saints are a boring team that will win a lot of games. Mark. This was an NFL football game played on an NFL Sunday in a week one of the NFL season. <laughs> this was not an NFL football game. This was, <laughs> this was the Battle of Stalingrad. Um, I'm glad that we all agreed that this needed to be fast forward. And uh, let's move on. The Washington Commanders are undefeated in the Josh Harris regime, but Mark, you still want to hit the fast forward. We have used all three of them now, 20 to 16, the final score against the tanking Cardinals. One sentence, please, Mark, on this game. As somebody living in the D.C. area, there is hope and optimism this morning at the bus stop. What I was seeing on off to middle school, the dads and the East Coast dads were all very excited, but it's still just the Washington Commanders against the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe. 
Kayla Williams will look good in red. Um, I kind of am in on Sam Howell. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, the Raiders and Broncos survive the fast forward uh, because we've all used ours up. The Raiders won this game, 17 to 16. Sean Payton, JP. Sean, if there is a social media person, it is Sean Payton. You you know that he was like, I'm going to go with the onside kick and everyone's going to gas me up and hype me up and talk about the Super Bowl and how great I am. And it damn near worked. Uh, just a really unfortunate illegal touching penalty because it really was badass. I'll give Sean Payton some props for that. Uh, but more of the same from the Broncos. I mean, like, you, you just... Uh, like who I don't I don't know that anyone is buying in, but the Broncos have very quickly gone from like Tiffany brand NFL cornerstone franchise to like the other half. I mean, they, they are not a team that anybody really enjoys at this point. It was such a weird game. Like, I feel like both of these teams probably should have should have put up more points than they did. It was just poor execution in the red zone. Russ was on fire in the first half and then just completely petered out. In the second half, I think Max Crosby continued his domination against the Denver Broncos. He is unbelievable. Just an unbelievable talent, unbelievable player. Um, outside of that, got a lot of questions still with this uh, with the Broncos offense. They could not put up points again. And that's a major problem for a team that finished dead last in points per game last year. You know, that's the reason why you go bring in Sean Payton. I think the offense, like I said, looked good in the first half. And in the second half, you just it kind of reverted back to the offense of old. So this is a game we're going to definitely go back and spin back through and see what happened. But the Raiders, you know, they look like a team that might not be good, but also might not be bad. I think the sertan Devonte Adams battle was really fun. Like those are two of the best in the game going at it. But I don't know. Like this, both these teams are weird. Yeah. Both these teams are weird. I almost feel like the questions about the Denver offense were answered with that onside kick. Because when you start the season trying to steal an extra possession from your, for your offense, that kind of tells you what you think about your offense. And, and maybe Sean Payton is going to sort of fix it with, with Russell Wilson. They'll lean into the run game when they're not playing a like unleashed mongoose like Max Crosby, who is just – I think that's how JP described him in the Slack yesterday – like maybe the offense looks a little bit better, but the fact they chose to open the season with an onside kick like that in this era where they're so hard to convert to begin with, it's not like the Super Bowl when Sean Payton dialed it up in, in New Orleans. That tells me all I need to know about how he feels about that offense. Um, and not just everything that you said, Mark, but you know, it's not like you're playing, you know, Patrick Mahomes and you're like, hey, let's let's do it. We're gonna best. steal an extra possession <laughs> against Jimmy G. Exactly. Really? Uh-huh. And a couple of snaps of Brian Hoyer. Couple of snaps yeah. of Brian Hoyer in the middle of the game, which is very. Yeah. Weird. I thought Jimmy G was like diagnosed with a concussion mid-game, and then came back, which again, very weird. Considering everything about this game should have been locked in Area Fifty One, never to see the light of day. Yeah, like I know it was a division rivalry, but this to me is like, did anybody really care? Like, like did did was anybody like we all? There's there's generally. Um, like yesterday was a great day for me. Like my team's playing in the night window. So I get all day with Scott Hansen. but there's that one game that's on in the afternoon window that you're just like, Scott, man, I appreciate you giving me all the like, you know, scoring information, but like, I really don't need to see much. Of this. First, you know of what all, I'm saying? first of all, quick shout out Sunday ticket on YouTube TV was fantastic. I absolutely loved every second okay. of it. The multi view was great. However, the way they set it up, they like, they pick the combinations of multi view for you. Like there are different options, but they'll pick the four and having that game up in the upper left while I couldn't really see the Chargers Dolphins game as it was unfolding. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, look, look, give me the option to scan away from this one. Like, I just watched that game out of the corner of my eye, and even what I saw out of the corner of my eye wasn't fun to watch. It was gross. Um, it really was gross. I'm really sad that we all had to experience it. Um, all right, our last game, uh, obviously not fast-forwardable. The Rams uh, kind of shocked us all. JP, 30-13, to 13, the final score. Matthew Stafford was functional. Um, you know, like it was – and the Seahawks were really bad this game. This was the true, like, maybe there was somebody out there who thought the, the, you know, everybody thought the Vikings would fall. Maybe somebody thought the Bucks would find a way to capitalize on that, whatever. Nobody saw this. This was very, very, very straight. This was an embarrassing effort to beat Carroll's team. It was bad for the Seahawks. I think a lot of it was extrapolated. A lot of it was emphasized by Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas both going down in the game. But your let, starting left and right tackle both going down really hurts. But, you know, that's definitely not going to be a problem against the greatest defensive player I've ever seen in my life, Aaron Donald, who completely just took over this game. Like, it is once again a reminder, please, whenever you have the chance, go watch Aaron Donald. Make it a – if you're watching your favorite team and Aaron Donald isn't on it, the next day, go make it, Go make your way to watch Aaron Donald. There was a point in the game where Aaron Donald comes free on a blitz and Geno Smith yells, oh, my God, and throws the ball away. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like 99% of the NFL reacts the exact same way and 100% of Earth reacts the same way to Aaron Donald running at you full speed. Um, Matthew Stafford still might have it. I don't know if he ever like truly lost it because of how bad the offensive line was last year, but he looked good. <laughs> he looked like once again, like he is a one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And he's doing this with Pukunakua, who was one of the draft darlings, but you, he wasn't expecting him to get 100 Hundred plus yards in week one, and Tutu Atwell, who is five foot nothing, and I hate to quote The Rock uh, from w, uh, WWF, but he's five foot nothing, hundred pounds of nothing, but completely dominated. And it's it's a weird, very weird game. I have still have a lot of questions about the Seahawks defense that are going to not be answered for a long time, especially after this. Tested out a sort of lukewarm take right now: Are the Rams this year Seahawks? Like, cause you think back to last summer, right? And everybody's saying, look, Seattle, they're going to be in, in the QB game. You know, they've got the the picks from the, the Russell Wilson trade. They're going to be drafted a quarterback. They're going to be bad. And everybody in that locker room is saying, no, no, no. We're much better than you're giving us credit for. Gino's much better than you think. He's not just sort of a bridge to our next quarterback. He can be the guy and they make a run to the wild card. Could we see something similar unfold with the Rams? I mean, look, I wrote it. Like Caleb Williams, he's going to be great in L.A. playing for the Rams. I mean, similar to J.P.'s, Caleb Williams is going to be looking good in red next year. You know, that that roster is bad sort of top to bottom. Yeah, you've got Donald, but after that, you know, questions on the depth, questions at other positions. Cooper Cup's hurt. I don't know, man. This team could surprise us all. And I will say I know nobody cares about my fantasy team, but I am so glad I drafted Puka in the 16th round. That was my favorite pick of the year already. Um, I'm kind of with you on the Rams or the Seahawks take, I guess the uh, Rams being the Seahawks, um, Rams schedule coming up. Um, so next week they have the Niners at home and we all know how weird the NFC West Those games are weird. Know, yeah. And like, you know, everybody kind of owns somebody, right? Like the Rams kind of own the Niners. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know that it's really annoying when the national media to- or like forces themselves to talk about the Rams, but like, couldn't like, is it impossible to see the Rams beating the Niners in a weird kind of. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan fashion, getting to 2-0. and And then they have the Bengals in Cincinnati in week three. We're going to get the Sean McVay, Zach Taylor thing shoved down our throats. And if the Bengals are still reeling, I mean, like, I think crazier things have happened, JP. I'm not predicting this by any stretch, but, like, it exists in the world of possibilities. 
it does exist in the world of possibility. I just don't know if it's going to happen. I just, Kyle Shanahan has always kind of had his way with the uh, Rams defenses, especially because the Rams play a lot of the light boxes, a lot of the smaller fronts that kind of became in vogue in the NFL around 2018. And Kyle Shanahan was just like, all right, man, we're just going to run power and counter at you or away from Aaron Donald and see if Michael Hoyt can defend the run. So we're going to see. I I doubt it, but I do wonder within the long term if this Rams team can be kind of like the Seahawks because they do have the quarterback. They have the quarterback. They have the play caller. They're going to get Cooper Cup back in the fifth during the fifth game of the season. I don't know. Like it, it might be something, but you know, I think this is more just the Seahawks defense is not good right now. Um, all right, I have one last thing to offer. It's not related to this game, but it does take us back to the first one we talked about, Cowboys Giants. Did either of you see the Bill Barnwell tweet? No, it was it was beautiful. Um, so this was um, late Sunday night, early Monday morning, however you want to look at it. The Giants on Sunday night against the Cowboys generated negative 23.8 offensive EPA. Okay, negative 23.8. When the Broncos in the 2020 season did not have a quarterback due to the COVID protocols and Kendall Hinton oh, had to Kendall play, Hinton, yeah. uh, they generated negative 23.7 offensive EPA. The Giants on Sunday night, again, negative 23.8. So a tenth of a point worse than the Kendall Hinton Broncos. Tough scenes. I just, again, like the Cowboys had their way with the Giants, but that context was just insane to me. Yeah. That's insane. You know, (laughs) not not only did you get windmill dunked on in the rain, just like 40 ball. Like the biggest thing was it was pouring rain. Yeah. And it was an island game too. Like, Like everybody saw it. You... As a Giants fan, that has got to be like the most demoralizing. <laughs> you're watching your team get blown out. If you're in the stands, it's just pouring rain. And you can't go anywhere because traffic is blocked up because people are trying to get out the stadium. So you just got to sit there and watch Daniel Jones run for his life and catch a snap, snap five yards behind him. And then Micah Parsons just running down on your team like a wild tiger. Uh, Steven, if you could join us, por favor, uh, and offer your biggest takeaways from uh, the first Sunday action. And, of course, um, in Rachelle's spot, hand out the coveted MF double MVP. You are qualified. And great job with the fast-forward sound effect, pulling that out of nowhere. That was tremendous. Uh, so you can hand it to yourself if you want. I think I do think I would. you kind of earned it. Yeah. I would. Um, I'm not going to give it to myself. Um, the only analysis that I really have is that I spend all season studying these things, and I know absolutely nothing about football um, after week one. Uh, but I'm going to give it to JP for his top-notch analysis on Saints-Titans. <laughs> uh, JP, um, are, you, are you fine winning on that? I mean, are, are you proud of that? Um, can, can you refresh us? It was w like is a W. Ago. Yeah, I mean – they don't ask how, they ask how many, you know, and we oh, got the win this week. And, you know, shout out to my head for teaching us about the Battle of Stalingrad. You know, that is the go-to for stinky football games, which, you know, is going to be the norm for the Titans this year. I feel like I'm going to use the Battle of Stalingrad, maybe mix in a little Battle of Verdun there, you know. Oh, be that's looking, a good one. Going to be looking up some of the world's longest battles that where nothing absolutely happens. You're just sitting there throwing up uh, rifle fire and hitting nobody like Ryan Tannehill throwing up passes and hitting nobody. So 
shout out to the Battle of Stalingrad. Shout out to my history teacher for teaching me about that. Shout out to the Battle of Stalingrad. Um, we are here with, with this win. We'll take this win. Wow. Well done. Uh, JP, as our MVP, um, I would like you, as we leave, um, in the spirit of uh, the Saints and Jamal Williams, a very famous anime fan, um, not quite anime, uh, but to tell us who your preferred starter is in the classic Pokemon game and why. First starter, classic Pokemon. I always go with with um, Charmander. Always. Okay. Always been the Charmander guy. I just like the fire powers. It just looks cool. And plus, I think Charizard rocks. So eventually building up to that, I've always been Charmander. All set.